When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Matt Bovee from It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. This NFL offseason, we can fit 25 hours in a day, and that's because of podcasts that make you more productive. When you're folding laundry, paying bills, making omelets, or any other tasks that you've got to get done, listen while you work. Do your chores and be entertained all at the same time. It's all about the bills, the news, insight, analysis, and of course, some jokes too, on demand, so it fits into your busy schedule. Follow the It's Always Game Day in Buffalo podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop, And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Bills Mafia, we know there's only one topic every day, all Bills, all the time. And now Matt Bovee and Sal Capaccio are going really deep, talking Bills all year long, because it's always game day in Buffalo. Welcome back to another edition of It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. The, I don't know, Matt, is it the the end of the season or is it the beginning of a new season? When do, I mean, I know the new league year doesn't start till March, but for us... You know, the Bills weren't in the Super Bowl. Was it, did, did, is this the start of a new season since we can all just kind of look forward or do we have to kind of say no at the end of the season? No, this is the first episode of the podcast in the new season. We are now I love completely it. in on 2024. I have no idea what even happened prior to this. I've wiped it That's all right. out of my memory. This is all a new season now. Do you remember the commercial they used to run at the end of every Super Bowl? Well, for a few years. I don't know how long it ran. I loved it. They don't do it anymore. And they would have all the head coaches and they would be showing them in different scenes and they'd be singing tomorrow, tomorrow. I love yeah. it. Tomorrow. I would say at the bottom, everybody's now zero and zero. Yeah. Well, we've talked about this on the podcast before. What is that? It's one shining moment at the end of March Madness. That's the video that everybody yes. Yes. loves that thing. Yeah. So that would be like the NFL's equivalent to that, I guess. No doubt about it. Um, the NFL took care of some business including NFL honors and the Super Bowl. We'll get into all of that here on It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. Let's work our way back. Let's talk about the Super Bowl 25-22 overtime win for the Kansas City Chiefs. They are now, I think, a dynasty. We can call them that. And I think what's scary for me, Matt, is I just don't know when it's going to end. They're young enough. They're like the youngest team they've had here. And yet uh-huh. they're a team that was flawed all year, it seemed like. And here we are. They were the third seed, and they still wound up winning. Two road games, go to the Super Bowl. What, excuse me, winning overtime. I just don't know what to do with this anymore and how you're supposed to beat them. Okay. I understand everything that you just said. I agree with it. Chances are they will win multiple more Super Bowls. That is how good Patrick Mahomes is. That's how great their defense is. And their defense is all led by young players. The Bills lost to them by three points 
and they had a missed field goal with less than two minutes. So I still think even though the Chiefs are the absolute best team in the NFL and they should be the favorite until they have a bad season or multiple bad seasons, people counted them out way too early this season. The Bills can absolutely beat them. That's not to say that they will, but they can. So for me, when we talk about how do you get over this hump, you just got to make a couple more plays. Now, I know that we're talking about a Chiefs team that was down. The defense never was. The defense was awesome. So there's probably some sort of regression there. Just like I, I don't know. The defense could probably be as good, but you got to re-sign Chris Jones. Are you going to do that? I mean, Chris Jones at this point in his career, why wouldn't you go out and sign a massive contract somewhere and get a bunch of money? Unless you really want to be part of somebody that tries to be a three-peat. So I, I don't know. Like The Chiefs are very good. The Chiefs should be the favorite to win the Super Bowl out of the AFC for the next several seasons, but that doesn't mean that they're going to every year. Even the Patriots, when they were the dynasty, had years where they slipped up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the Patriots actually won three of four when they started, and then they went 10 years without winning one, right? So to your mm -hmm. point of what you're right about that, they did go to a couple that lose to the Giants in that span. No doubt. I, I agree with everything you said, but I still sit here and go, I don't know what else it takes. Like, you're right, make a few more plays, but it's just frustrating. It's frustrating to see this because the plays mm -hmm. were there to be made. But I'd also say, Matt, every team can say that about the Chiefs, yet they still keep beating them. The Niners mm -hmm. can say that. They had a few plays they didn't make. The Ravens, they had a few plays they didn't make. The Bengals a couple years ago, last year, they had a few plays. It just seems like, and I, I use this example on the radio with my co-host, Jody Biasi. You've ever seen the movie Rounders, right? You ever no, seen the movie? Okay, Matt, Matt Damon's no. a poker player in Rounders, okay? He's okay. a poker player. And his girlfriend doesn't want to play poker, and she basically says, look, it's you're, it's all luck. Like, what are you doing? You're throwing your money away. And he says mm -hmm. to her, it's, if it's all luck, then why do the same people get to the World Series of Poker every year? It's not luck. There's a skill. Mm -hmm. And that's what I look like. Yeah, there's plays, but for some reason, they're the ones that always wind up on the other end because there's something going on where they're just better than the other team. And I don't think that means the Bills are bad. I don't think that means the Ravens are bad or the Bengals are bad. I think it just means that team is so good. You have to go to be extra special to be able to beat them. And it's just frustrating to know that even on a down year, they were still the best team and still made more of the plays. Well, I think a lot of that has to do with the two things that I would say are the most important. It's the most important position, and it's Patrick Mahomes. He is clearly the best in the league, and it's the coaching. Andy Reid is a really yeah. great coach and has them prepared for every single situation. We'll talk more about the overtime stuff, but that was pretty evident with the overtime approach there and just the way that they felt comfortable. at the. There was never a point during the Chiefs game. I would say when Mahomes threw the interception early in the second half, I thought for a second, oh, wow, the 49ers might win this game. But then when they didn't capitalize and then the Chiefs went down and scored on that crazy you know, punt that hit the dude's foot and then Ray Ray McLeod isn't able to pick it up, like just live betting the Chiefs' money line because it always felt like the Chiefs were still going to win the game. Mm -hmm. I think because they have Reed and because they have Mahomes, they will always have a chance. But there's not, it's not impossible for them to have a bad game or a bad season. And I know right. this was a bad season at least as far as their offense is concerned. But it, how much longer does Andy Reid have? How much longer does Travis Kelsey have? I asked the question kind of just curi out of curiosity last night. How much longer? Like, when does Travis Kelsey retire? It's a good question. And, 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 and they, But apparently they both committed to next year, like 2024. Mm -hmm. I mean, that could always change. They could just say that in the heat yeah. of the moment. But I agree with you. I thought I honestly thought that Kelsey was going to retire this year with his brother. They're going to walk out mm -hmm. the door together. 
I figured Reed to me was okay. Maybe he wins one. He does step away, but obviously the chance to do something no other team has ever done in the history of this league with a three-peat, they want to do that together. So they're back. I agree with all of that. But then I look at the other side and go, Trent McDuffie and Willie Gay and Carl Loftus, right? And all these young uh-huh. guys and these guys that are, but I think Gay is going to be a free agent, but you get the point. Like they're all, these guys have a young defense, they have a good defense, and they didn't have any receivers really very good. And Rasheed Rice came no. on, and yet here's Mahomes making all these plays for them. They actually have capital, they have cap space to go mm-hmm. get guys. I just, it just seems like it's a never ending cycle here. Yeah, but isn't there something to be said about this year when so many people counted them out, they still won? What about next year when everybody thinks that they're going to do it and they're going to be even better? Maybe they take a step back. There is something beautiful about nobody's ever going to call the Chiefs an underdog, but they could use the whole nobody believes in us thing as fuel. And it all nobody's going to say that or nobody should say that. It doesn't make any sense for people to say that about a team that has won back to back Super Bowls. If they are at a point next year where they lose a couple games in a row and everybody starts to have the conversation, it's crazy talk because until they are no longer playing, until they are eliminated, they are still the biggest threat. And that's why to me, like, I, I just, I don't know. Like, it feels like this year a little bit, they exceeded ex- they exceeded expectations and they won a Super Bowl. And it's really impressive because of the resume that they have. But eventually, they'll slip up. Like, it just happens. Like, the Patriots, history has a way of repeating itself. The Patriots dynasty was an incredible dynasty at the beginning and at the end. But like you said, there were all those lean years in the middle. So if you're a Bills fan and you're listening to this, you hope that that's what's about to happen to the Chiefs because we were saying the same – well, we weren't, but a lot of people were saying the same thing about the Patriots after they won their third one, and then they had to wait a long, long time. The Chiefs have now gone to six straight AFC Championship games. The Patriots went to eight straight, believe it or not. That's crazy. At the tail end of their dynasty, actually, not even crazy. at the beginning. At the beginning, they went to a bunch in a row anyway. Then they went to eight straight, and they went to pretty much like 15 out of 20 or something like that, which was – Insane. I don't know if it's exactly the numbers, but all right, let's talk about the game itself. Um, I, how do, you know the team we haven't talked about much is the Niners after the game. What did you think uh-huh. about Brock Purdy? And what did he impress you? And where do you think the Niners are in this mix going forward over the next few years? I think they're very much in it. I think, you know, Bills fans will get a chance to see them up close next year when they come to Buffalo. I think for the Niners, they have to continue to go all in with Brock Purdy because you have a quarterback with such an affordable contract that now needs to be the time when you just surround him with as much talent. Like, there is no thinking about the salary cap and about anything. It's win now, win now, win now. They took the Chiefs to overtime. They had a lead in overtime. The Chiefs converted on a fourth and one. So there is still a lot to like about the 49ers moving forward. I thought Brock Purdy was good. I didn't think he was special. I think he missed a couple plays that other players are capable of making. But that's to it's a little bit of an unfair comparison because the guy on the other sideline is the best maybe ever. So when you look at them and you try and compare the two of them, it's obviously not even close. But I've always been, I think Purdy is a really good player. Like I think Brock Purdy is better than your prototypical game manager. I know that there's a negative connotation with that. I don't think he's going to be a guy who carries you ever, but I think he is a guy you can win with. Yep. I agree with that. And I I do, I agree with everything you said. I mean, they, they, they need to keep going forward. Not that there was any question that they wouldn't and they chose him and now they have this, you know, affordable contract. Like you said, 
you know, I mean, running backs kind of age pretty quickly. So you see where McCaffrey is, but Shanahan's always been able to, you know, get the most out of his offense. That's what he's known for there. But here we go again with, you know, Kyle Shanahan blowing another fourth quarter lead in a big game in the Super Bowl. It's the third time he's been a part of that, basically. So we'll see where they go. And yeah, that should be interesting when they come to Buffalo next year. Is that a primetime game, San Francisco at Buffalo next year? That's Doesn't that feel Monday Night Football? That feels like a Monday Night Football game. Maybe even that Sunday, feels like a, it's huge. Now, that feels like a Monday Night Football game to me, and the Chiefs-Bills feels like another 425 CBS game. Okay. Doesn't it? Right? Yeah, like, we'll I do we'll that. do an I entire that, yeah. schedule yeah. project. I think, <laughs> that the, I think, though, that the 49ers, of the two teams we saw yesterday, I actually think the 49ers are more likely to be the primetime game than the Chiefs. They love the Chiefs and Bills in that early window. The, yeah, you're probably right. A lot of time to dissect that. In the meantime, looking forward to next year. The Bills are still one of the top five teams as far as the betting odds are concerned for next year's Super Bowl championship. Um, mm-hmm. I believe the only teams ahead of them are the Niners, the Chiefs, the Ravens, and then they're tied with the Lions from what I saw. I could be wrong in that. Maybe they're so they're top four right in there. You could correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe the Eagles are in there. But it just speaks to the kind of team they still have. And the fact is, Matt, as long as they have Josh Allen, who's – not walking out there just looking like, you know, Joe Namath in his last couple of years. Uh-huh. Um, they're always going to be one of the top four or five teams in the betting odds to win the Super Bowl. For as bleak as it may look with all of the free agents that they have and the salary cap trouble that they have, the schedule what right now, recording this on February 12th, looks really hard. I fully expect the Bills to be a better, more consistent football team next year because of the players they should be getting. I mean, they lost Matt Milano in week five. Matt Milano, you could argue, is their second best player behind Josh Allen right now. Yeah. Matt Milano is unbelievable. What and Trey White, like, what if there's a chance that we're watching Trey White and Christian Benford and Rasul Douglas have some sort of rotation? And they had so many injuries that they dealt with, especially in the last game of the year. It feels so gross talking about injuries because the Chiefs had injuries, the Dolphins had, all these teams deal with injuries. The outcome of the Chiefs game could have been completely different if Terrell Bernard was healthy. Could have been completely different. So now you get Terrell Bernard and Matt Milano back playing together at the same time. Like I I really do think that it makes sense that the Bills have some of the best odds because they should because they still have who I think is the second best player in football in Josh Allen and a team that has a lot of talent around him. Yeah, in fact, next year's schedule, you just said like it's a very tough one. It is. Um, it's actually ranked according to win percentage. Of course, these things change. I I understand that. We'll talk more about it in the coming months. One, two, three, four, five, sixth hardest schedule in the league as far as win mm-hmm. percentage. But you know who's ahead of them? All except for one AFC team because the AFC is so tough right now, I guess. I don't know. But Cleveland, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, the North, all those teams have a very tough schedule because of their crossovers. Then the Packers, then the Texans. Than the Bills. And if you really want to go a little deeper, I was looking at this. The Bills actually have a very hard road schedule as far as percentage. They have one of the easier home schedules yeah. in the league as far as as far as percentage is concerned. Yeah, for sure. It, it feels like besides the Chiefs and the 49ers, which are two really tough mm-hmm. games, and this is obviously so, so, so far down the road, like they should win every other home game if you're yeah. looking at this right now. Like it feels like if you're one of those people when they get the schedule who puts an, a W or an L next to each game, I think you're going to yeah. be doing that a lot of times on the home schedule. All right. It's always game name Buffalo, Sal Capaccio, Matt Bovey. Before we wrap this portion, speaking of next year, there was some news out of Pittsburgh before we came on, Mitch Trubisky has been released. Uh, they mm-hmm. released three guys. He's one of them. 
backup quarterback in Pittsburgh, was a backup in Buffalo. Brandon Bean said some nice things about him. He fit in really well when uh, he was here a couple of years ago. Is that something you think the Bills might be interested in? They right now have Kyle Allen as a pending free agent and Shane mm-hmm. Buchel, who is on the practice squad, signed a futures contract to come back mm-hmm. next year, but he's never played a single snap in the NFL. Yeah, well, I think Mitch Trubisky is going to be the Bills' backup quarterback this wow. year. Wow. I, th- I, I really do. I mean, unless he gets some sort of big contract from somebody, which I do just do not see happening based off mm-hmm. of how the last two years have gone in Pittsburgh, it just feels like it makes way too much sense. He is more of a scheme fit for the Bills than Kyle Allen is. And just because of the way Josh Allen plays, because it's another year where he's a little bit older, I feel like having an insurance policy at a backup quarterback is a smart thing to do. You hope that he would never have to play, but I feel like if he did for a couple games, you would at least think you've got a chance. I don't know if you would feel that way about Kyle Allen. So I I really do think that Mitch Trubisky, I mean, I said on the last podcast before this even happened that I thought this could happen and then they ended up cutting Trubisky and now I think that it makes a lot of sense. So I totally agree about, you know, you'd rather have Trubisky than Allen, but I would say I think they do like Shane Buchel as a young guy and Mm -hmm. he'd be more affordable because Trubisky, he, his vet minimum would be a lot more than a guy in a rookie contract, obviously. But the other thing is, and I'm, believe me, I'm not here to tell you Trubisky is going to get a chance to start somewhere. But if I'm Mitch Trubisky, I'm probably at least looking at an opportunity somewhere where, you know what, if that guy has a few five, six games where it's not going, I might be the guy. That's not happening in Buffalo. No. But how many places will that actually be an option? Right, like how it's many a good teams- question to dissect as we go forward because there's going to be some movement, but I think it's probably more than you realize sometimes. I mean, there's there's a lot of quarterback situations out there that are very very fluid. Yeah, you know what? Another spot for Mitch Trubisky that would make like a lot of sense would be would be the Jets if you know Aaron Rodgers is coming back but has the injury questions moving forward, then that could be an option of like, hey, you could potentially play a lot of games because you know they're moving on from Zach Wilson. But uh, yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I guess it just depends. What does he value? Does he value familiarity and probably a time that he enjoyed in Buffalo? Or right. does he still think that he can potentially be a starting quarterback in this league? Well, I thought you were going to say the place that makes sense might be New England. That's where a, a place is. they're going to transition. Mac Jones could be dealt. So maybe that's a spot mm-hmm. where he at least feels that he could be on the roster and they could turn to him if whatever rookie they draft you know doesn't work out. But it is interesting. They have some decisions to make there. And along the rest of the roster, we'll get into that. And it's always game day in Buffalo as we go forward. I want to talk about what happened in overtime in the Super Bowl. All right, so Super Bowl goes overtime, Super Bowl 58. There's new rules here. Mm. New rules, I think, by now everybody knows. Each team gets an opportunity to possess, not guaranteed to possess, an opportunity to possess. Mm. And if they both match each other, then it goes to a sudden death. The 49ers elect to take the ball. They could have mm-hmm. kicked off. They would have still guaranteed themselves an opportunity to possess no matter what. We know how it turned out. They kicked the field goal. So now the Chiefs go down, they score a touchdown, they win the game. Mm-hmm. Kyle Shanahan's getting some criticism for that decision. Mm-hmm. Are you one to criticize for that? I feel like it goes both ways because I understand the benefit of getting the ball second and knowing what you need to do and giving yourself the extra down and obviously all of that stuff. But if they would have scored a touchdown on their first drive, yep. then you would have really... Le- now, I've read the comments that the Chiefs would have tried to go for two and yes. won the game on a two-point conversion. So yes. then it would have come down to that. But the th- in theory, just be- I, don't, I would have rather deferred 
and kicked the ball off and known what I needed to happen. Because then even if you do get a touchdown, you can make the decision to go for two points, which would be incredible, by the way. But I, by the way, I, I think that is the play. And the Chiefs, they said they would do it. I think that's what almost any team should do in that scenario. I agree too. So especially knowing that if you're giving the ball back to them, then it is sudden death in any That's point. Exactly would right. So exactly I think going for two is the right play, but I also understand the benefit of putting yourself in a position where you could potentially have that possession that yeah. is sudden death and thinking that you hold them. Cause I mean, if the chiefs for as great as they are, they have that one crosser to Rashi rice that I think was like third and six or something like that. Mm -hmm. If that comes up short, if they just have a better play defensively, then I think the Chiefs would have been in that position where do they try and kick a field goal? Do they go for it? And that would have been a long field goal, even though Butker looked really good, or you were one play away. I mean, it was just like the earlier one that they had on fourth and one, just a perfect play from the Chiefs. So I don't, I don't feel like the criticism is I understand it because I would have done something different, but I don't think it's as simple as he definitely made the wrong move. I think it's just a preference thing. I mean, I agree 100% with everything you're saying. It's not a – there's no one right way, and I think it's foolish to criticize him just for taking the ball. I think I would take the ball. I understand the second part, and maybe – and this might be a nuanced point of, well, depending on who the other quarterback is or my co-host Jody Biasi says – I also want to know who the coach is on either side of how risky he's going to be in a certain situation. Mm -hmm. I understand that there's a lot of analytics and research that would go into it on a game to game basis, but I want the third possession. And that's what Shanahan said. And I don't disagree with that. The third possession mm -hmm. is, Hey, I'm getting the ball. If we match each other, however that is, then I get it with a chance to win with a field goal. I don't mm -hmm. think there's anything wrong with that. I totally get the sentiment of, yeah, but you know what? If I get it second, that's why you go. That's why you go second in college a lot of times, right? You mm -hmm. know what you need to match or to win the game, and that's what the Chiefs said. Which, as you pointed out, they also said they would go for two. Here's the reason why you go for two. In case anybody's wondering, why would you do that? The reason you would go for two is because you're basically saying I'm giving myself a. I think it's about 51% chance on a two point conversion, a 51% mm -hmm. chance to win the game on one play versus having to give them the ball and a chance to win a sudden death. And I think that's probably the better play to go. And that's why the Chiefs said they would do that. No, oh, by the way, the one thing I will criticize Kyle Shanahan for was also after the game revealed, a lot of 49ers players didn't even know the rules. They had no idea yeah. what was happening as far as, and look, you don't have to know the rules to play. I get that part of it. I think it's a peek into the window of Kyle Shanahan not being as prepared uh, with his team overall. If he's not telling them that or they're going through it like Andy Reid, then you wonder what else they're not necessarily prepared for. I keep thinking back to the end of that game. I watched the game with a bunch of my friends, and obviously, you know, we we had a little bit of reason to be excited about the game with uh, different bets that we okay. were placing. But if the Bills were in that position and they are – if the Bills are in that position and they are the Chiefs, right, or they're whatever team – and they score the touchdown and are down one, do they go for it? I think they do. I, I, I think they would. Even though Sean always trusts his defense, I think they would have went for two. Mm -hmm. And I keep thinking, what would the play be? Like, what would be the Bills' play? I think on I a know. Two? Is it a Josh Allen run? It is. It's a, no, it's, yeah. a, it's a Josh Allen, to the, and he has the option to flip it if he, ha if he can, but he's uh -huh. running, and he's probably, he's probably just taking off and going. But I think yeah, it's a Josh Allen-designed run. Either he has blockers or it's more naked. I don't know which uh -huh. one that is, but mm -hmm. I do think that. That's I case. just I just kept like in my head visualizing him 
running out to his right oh, okay. with Dawson, not, almost similar to the play that the Chiefs won on with McCole Hardman, yeah, yeah, or yeah. the fourth and one play where Kelsey leaks out to the right, and it's if Kelsey's open, you throw to him. If not, you're going to run the ball. I mean, I just see Josh Allen jumping into the air oh, in yeah. my head and just like, you know. The play against the Dolphins <laughs> two years ago in the snow, that was the play, right? You just He just goes and he leaps. That's that's mm-hmm. the play. And we're going to give it to our, you know, alien quarterback and try to break the plane of the goal line. I think that's what <laughs> but it um, is. I, um, um, go imagine going forward and not getting it. I don't want to imagine. Imagine. That. I've act- imagine. I'll tell you this. I watched the game. My wife fell asleep. She woke up to watch the very end. And then she said to me, thank God the Bills didn't lose like that in the Super Bowl. <laughs> that was her response. I said, yeah. I know, right? Oh, uh, my gosh. Now, I, I do have a criticism about the end of the uh, about the end of the game. Go ahead, and I'll get to that, what that is. I just – this is a, a broader point, so you go to yours, and then we can talk about mine after. Okay. I think CBS did a an awful job of explaining the timing of the overtime rules. At the end of overtime, at the before the Chiefs scored, Tony Romo said they don't have to rush because there's another quarter. Uh-huh. Before overtime, they said it's a new game. Now, if you pay attention to football, you know football, and you've understood these rules, uh-huh. you should have no problem with that. You understand what's happening. But this is the Super Bowl. There are millions uh-huh. upon millions of people who are, I think, were very confused. I got text messages today from people uh-huh. I respect a lot who said, what would have happened if it hit zeros? Was the game yeah. over? People didn't know because CBS never said all they had to do was have Tony Romo or Jim Nance or Tracy Wilson or Evan Washburn or Gene Steratore say, hey, just so everybody knows, if the clock hits zero, they're just going to flip sides. They don't have to score in this play. They're just going to go yeah. run the next play the other way. It's the second quarter of overtime. That's all uh-huh. they had to say. No one explained that. People literally, I was waking up to tweets this morning asking me about that, Matt. Uh-huh. Yeah, they, they should have made it a statement or a comment about it prior to when they did because yes. they did it while the clock was ticking with like 30 seconds left. And I'm sitting in a room with seven other guys and everybody's kind of thinking the same thing of like, Hey, what happens here? And, ah, see? and that's what I mean. Like people who watch every single game and, you know, are very, very into football and they're asking me, they're like, Hey, what happens here? And I had, to, I had to think about it. Cause I didn't know off the top of my head of like, Hey, what's going on. So I would like to think if, I had to think about it for a second. Then maybe there's a lot of people who probably had to think about it and should have gotten a better explanation there. There's that point. And then it also, I really, really like Nance and Romo as a pair. I think they're outstanding. The end of the game. Those are the moments that like people criticize Joe Buck. I think Joe Buck in big moments always knocks it out of the park and lets it, lets a moment breathe. And when they win the game, and immediately we're getting anal- like an a- like an analyzing view- viewpoint of Andy Reid's been holding this in the bag all game. This is classic Andy Reid. Just let the moment. Like I just yeah. I want nothing there. I want nothing. Just let me hear like the silence of the moment. I like that point. And by the way, though, I did like Jim Nance saying jackpot, Kansas City, oh, that was because good. they're in Vegas. Because they're in Vegas, so I like that. Um, Nance you're is, right. Nance is amazing. Yeah, he is. I. But so everybody knows, just so we're clear on this, what would have happened was they would have just gone to another quarter. And let's just uh-huh. say the game remained tied. If the Chiefs kick a few, um, kick a field goal, they just stay tied, 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 tied. At the end of the next quarter, that's when the zeros come into play because that's like a second quarter of a game. It comes to halftime. There's a two minute warning, there's a halftime. 
there's probably not Usher coming out to sing or anything. <laughs> but then, yeah. but then, then you start the second half, but it's sudden death at that point. But yeah, they should have explained that a little bit better. And you know who would have explained it better? And I bet you did. I'm not kidding. I'm, I'm not trying to be funny. Dora the Explorer. Matt, yeah. I watched the first half on Nickelodeon. It was mm -hmm. awesome. And you know what? It was, yes, it was fun with the graphics. They were having fun with that stuff. And, you know, people would say it's cheesy. That's fine. It was entertaining. They had the slime coming out when they scored a touchdown and the, the, the 49ers first one. Every time they put a graphic up of a player, they had cool, like, bio information about them, not just yeah. your normal height and weight. You know, they favorite this or favorite that. But what I really liked is they had, when something happened, Dora would come on or Patrick, whoever, SpongeBob, but usually Dora, they would explain what happened. For example, yeah. there was a personal foul. Dora the Explorer comes out and goes, a personal foul is when, and she like reads it from the, from the, the book, the uh, rule book. And I'm like, that's awesome. Like uh -huh. football needs more of that. I'm not saying it needs it all the time, every play, but there are people who don't maybe know some of these little things that happen. And then after the foul was called, it said at the bottom, yeah, you can't do that. And I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, I um I didn't see any of the Nickelodeon broadcast live, but I saw a lot of the clips from the broadcast. Uh, Noah Eagle, the guy who's calling it on yep. Eagle's son, he went to Syracuse with uh, somebody I used to work with, Adam Unger, and there was also a kid in that class named Drew Carter who is now calling games for ESPN. Yes. They are all you know, incredibly talented and you know just really really good at what they do. So I I know I'm sure that he did a fantastic job. I like Nate Burleson a lot too. I understand your point because of the magnitude of the game. I think that that's something that should happen on the suit as crazy as the sounds in the Super Bowl and in the preseason, because the preseason is the time when you're dusting off the webs a little bit, the cobwebs, and you're trying to get everybody back up to speed to football. I don't know if you need that for, I think a little, I think at Understood. one point, I think at a certain point it would get a little bit overdone if you were always giving an explanation of what was going on. I, I totally understand that. I'll give you one more example before we move off this. I want to say this part of it. So at one point, Dora comes on and says, the referee is the guy in the white hat with all other seven, with seven officials on the field. And I thought, you know what? That's probably a good thing to say to people sometimes. Uh -huh. A lot of people watching might not know the referee has a different colored hat. But what's more interesting, how many people, even regular football fans, I, I quizzed my friends on this today. I said, mm -hmm. how many officials are on a football field? They're like, uh, six? Nope, seven. And if you were watching Nickelodeon, Dora the Explorer told you that yesterday. She said he's yeah. one of seven officials. Again, I'm not asking for every time something happens. Hey, by the way, let's go to very rudimentary. But every once in a while, in a game, on a Sunday, I think it'd be nice to drop some knowledge like that. That's why I like Joel Klatt on Fox Sports College. Joel Klatt on Fox Sports College broadcasts, he doesn't get like super down elementary, but he uh -huh. will analyze a play and say, Hey, let me show you the tight end and what he did here and why way better than a lot of these other color analysts. I like that. I'm the, I'm an educator. All right. I was uh -huh. a teacher once. I like that part of it. I, well, that's why I think that Greg Olson is so good at his job because yes. I think Greg Olson is the perfect blend of telling you why something is going to happen and why it should happen while also making it so the common person can understand. He's not saying like the X receiver is running a no, post right. and then do yeah. like he's not doing it that way. Love it. He's like. Stefan Diggs is your best receiver, and that's why you need to get him out and do blah, 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 blah. And he just has a very good way of explaining those kind of things. And I think that's why he is so good at what he does. Agreed. And it's going to be weird 
because I feel like he's going to kind of just get demoted because. And Tom Brady might be great at it. Chances are he's going to be very good at it. But I think Greg Olson has – I mean, Greg Olson called the Super Bowl last year, and now he's going to be the number two if he stays at Fox. All right. uh, For the Super Bowl, we had NFL honors. Hey, everyone. This is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Josh Allen has now finished in the top five in the MVP voting in three of the last four years. Uh He's been second. He's been third. This year, he was fifth. Uh Yeah, that's really nice. Oh, my God. How was he fifth? How did half the people not even have him on their top five ballot, Matt? I don't know why so many people were mad at Aaron Schatz for being right. Like, what the thing is, first off, If you believe that Lamar Jackson is the MVP, which you are totally, everybody should have their own opinion, right? But this is the whole conversation. In no way, shape, or form was Lamar Jackson a unanimous MVP this season. You can think he's the MVP. That is totally fine. But to be unanimous, like people are losing their minds because somebody didn't vote for him. I am shocked that it was just one person. I did not think that Josh Allen had any chance of winning MVP, but I certainly thought there was going to be more than one person who had him as their top option. I I really was surprised with the 49 first-place votes for Lamar Jackson. That makes no sense to me, and I don't understand how Josh Allen didn't get more of those middle votes, right? Like, I'm not a vote. I'm not a voter, but I, I absolutely think you can make the argument that Josh Allen was more valuable than Lamar Jackson. I just, I, sure. It, I have no problem either with Lamar. In fact, I might have voted for Lamar. I've said this. I think I think Lamar is a very worthy MVP candidate. My issue is five people leaving him off their ballot, even if you voted him third, okay, fourth. To not vote him second, third, fourth, or fifth is malpractice as far as I'm concerned. Something's wrong there. I don't know what it is. I don't know why. The only thing I can think of is, well, there's two things I can think of. Number one, preconceived biases. You don't want to be wrong. You hated Josh Allen. You're proving a point, whatever. He's not that good. Mm-hmm. I think it's more so we are still living in a world where people look at that one column, interceptions. Yep. Yeah, oh my God. Interceptions. Can't vote for the guy. What are we doing? If Josh, he had 18 interceptions. Okay. If he had four or less he's probably the mvp i, I know that's a, i know that's a hindsight thing but if that column says 14 instead of 18 he probably maybe he's not mvp but he's definitely getting 
way more first place votes. This is a simple question for you. What is more valuable, a touchdown or an interception? Right. Well, right? listen, okay, first of all, you're right, 100%. But the argument used against Josh for interceptions is even more so to your point, which is exactly he led the league in touchdowns, which is 44 total. Uh-huh. Those touchdowns far, far greater contributed to the successes of the Bills than the turnovers contributed to any failures. Far, far. I they, know. they still won the division. They had the second seed in the conference. The interceptions did not sink the Bills in any way, but the touchdowns certainly elevated them. Yeah, it's it's a ridiculous. I I don't get it. I just wonder how the thing that I keep coming back to is how good does he have to be to win MVP? Like what right. is, what does he need? 44 touchdowns and 10 interceptions because the way he plays that's probably not ever going to happen. But he is a touchdown machine. He leads the NFL in touchdowns. I think he is far and away the more. I, I don't. I just. I really do think it's Mahomes and Josh Allen. I, I really do think that those yep. are the two best players in the league. And that's not to be like Lamar is still outstanding. Lamar, if I had a vote, I would have probably voted for Lamar one and Josh two. Maybe yep. Josh one and Me Lamar too. two. But I just don't understand like the Stephen A. Smiths of the world saying all of the stuff about how. It just doesn't make any set. Like, what? Just watch the. And I know the voting happens before the playoffs, but we literally watched the evidence in the playoffs. You know, to further this point, and again, I I don't want to sound like I'm reeling on Lamar winning MVP. I'm totally co- cool with it. Yeah, but uh, yeah, but you know, you know what this is also to me. It's weird to me. Like, Matt, if Josh put up Lamar's numbers this year, people would criticize him for his numbers. They would say oh, that yeah. was a down year for Josh Allen. He had 24 touchdowns, Lamar. 24, okay? Touchdown passes, uh-huh. seven interceptions, which is really nice, seven interceptions. You got to take, give him that, and he protected the ball. 24 touchdowns. You know when the last time Josh Allen threw less than 25 touchdowns through 24 or less? It was five years ago, his second year in the league. He has, in reverse yeah. order, 29, 35, 36, 37. Then it was 20 and 10, his first two years in the league. Like, the uh-huh. numbers Lamar put up are totally pedestrian for a normal Josh Allen year. Yeah, well, that's what I keep looking back to. Every time I see the Lamar Jackson stat line, it's like a little better version of the 2019 Josh Allen season, but yeah. with an, another game. So it's like not even that much more impressive because, yeah, I mean, it obviously still was the MVP, but in 16 games, he had 20 and nine for just passing. And what did Lamar this year have? 24, 26? 24 and seven. 24 passing touchdowns and he's like it's just great it's he's an amazing player but the discourse around it not being unanimous just didn't make any sense to me all right what about demar hamlin not <laughs> this is so stupid <laughs> it's so stupid he died he I died mean, on no, a football he, field I, mean, I get it. We're, we're in Buffalo. We're on the beat. We grew up here. We're closer to the team. I understand that. I'm trying to leave my biases out of this, and that's why I say I'm fine with Lamar winning MVP. I might have voted for him. You might have voted for him. To yeah. not have Josh Allen top five is ridiculous, though. I'm not telling you the voters made a huge mistake not making Josh MVP. I am telling you the guy came back from the dead, and he should have been a comeback player of the year. I mean, come on. It is I, I like the way I think John Scott posted it. It's what do you value more the play on the field or what you had to overcome? Or I, I you said it in a right. much more eloquent yeah. way of like Joe Flacco 
came from just do like doing nothing, hanging out to coming in and playing good football. Good. Had some really nice moments. Also had eight interceptions in like nine games or whatever it was. So it's not like he was playing perfect football. Also, totally warranted candidate if he wasn't going against DeMar Hamlin, right? Like any other (laughs) year, I would say, hey, yeah, that makes sense. I I really do think that there was a bit of DeMar Hamlin fatigue out there, and that hurt him a little bit. I think people, it became such a big story that people got over it, and that ultimately hurt him with the case of Comeback Player of the Year because another one that just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I, I think uh, that's probably right. Um, other ones, though, were... Oh, by the way, you know who else said that DeMar should win Comeback Player of the Year? Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco, Joe Joe Flacco, Flacco. said that before, and then he won. It was He's not going to give it back, obviously. He was voted, which is cool. Uh, th- the other issue I had, this is a very minor gripe, but it is a gripe. And by the way, DeMar had eight more first-place votes than Joe Flacco, and he still uh-huh. lost the, MV- the Comeback Player of the Year. The other gripe I had, small gripe, but... The coach of the year was tied in the voting. It was Stefanski and D'Amico Ryans. Mm-hmm. They both had, I think it was 165 points on their scale. But because but, first place, one vote separated them, Stefanski mm-hmm. got it. Come on, give co-coaches of the year. I look back. We've given co-MVPs before. Just give co-coach yeah. of the year to the two guys. Yeah, that doesn't. None of it. Like, I don't think right now any of it it matters from a, like comeback player of the year doesn't matter really to no. anybody. It's a, it's a really nice award. And obviously the recognition would be nice for any of those guys. Coach of the year and MVPs are the ones that I think really, really matter when it's talking about somebody's legacy. And for Josh Allen, when it's done, it, regardless of what happens, if he wins a Super Bowl, I think obviously it's a lot of a, it's a much stronger case for him. Right now, Josh Allen is on a Hall of Fame trajectory, but I think the one thing potentially holding him back is that he, well, a couple things. Obviously, one that he hasn't won at all, but two, he doesn't have an MVP yet, even though he's got a bunch of really strong seasons, and he doesn't actually have a lot of Pro Bowls either because he just doesn't go to them. So, in the end of the day when his career is done, those might be minor blemishes on his resume that might potentially like Lamar Jackson, almost regardless of what happens for his career is going to get into the hall of fame because he's a two time MVP. It's, it's just going to happen. Josh Allen is not a guaranteed lock yet. He's trending in that direction, but not quite yet. My apologies. I think about Sal's house at the bottom of the thing there. That's, this is, that's my other podcast. I hit the wrong button there. This is, it's always game day in Buffalo. Here you go. I'm going to show it to you right now. There you go. It's always game day in Buffalo. Um, before I let you go, unless you got anything else on this you want to get to, I got one final kind of like um, impromptu question for you. Um, I have a quick question for you too. So you can yes. ask me your question first and then I'll ask you my question. Okay. My question for you is because you're a hockey guy and you played, where do you side on this Ridley, Greg, Morgan, Riley controversy? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know if anybody knows what we're talking about. If in case you don't, you might not. Uh-huh. The Ottawa Senators were up 4-3 on the Toronto Maple Leafs. They pulled their goalie. The Maple Leafs did. The Senators had uh, Ridley Gregg. Is it Greg or Greg? I think it's Greg. Greg, uh, yeah. He, he, had, he had a breakaway at an open net. She's going to shoot it in. And instead, he was within like five feet of the open net and took a wicked slap shot in, which is considered <laughs> a no-no. It's a code, basically. And Morgan Riley drilled him with a cross check into the boards and there's a segment of fans 
people who think, yeah, that's why you don't break the code. What are you doing? That's a, that's a big middle finger to the Toronto Maple Leafs. And then there's a segment of fans going, dude, it's an open net. You don't like it. Beat him. Like he, he had an open net and he shot it in. What do you, what do you think? Okay. There's a lot of layers to this. Okay. What is so Toronto Maple Leafs fans and some hockey fans, but mostly Maple Leafs fans. And there's Maple Leafs fans who I'm sure listen to this podcast. Absolutely <laughs> hated that slap shot into an empty net. Yeah, they course. also adore Jose Batista for throwing his baseball bat eight Ooh, feet in the air after hitting well, a home run. Yeah. So if you're talking about breaking unwritten rules, you can't pick and choose. Also, unwritten rules are stupid. So it's a rivalry. Because if your guy does that, if this was the Sabres and this was 10 years ago and Toronto pulls their goalie and Patrick Coletta takes a slap shot into an open net, everybody here adores it and everybody in the other place loses their mind. Do I think he should have taken the slap shot? No. Do I think that it's the craziest thing in the world that he did? No. It's a rivalry. You're supposed to hate that other team, and you're supposed to try and rub salt into the wound of your opponent, especially when you're playing on your own home ice, and there's tons of Toronto Maple Leafs fans that are there because they take over basically every game that's in Ontario or in Buffalo. Now, the counterpoint is I have no issue with Morgan Riley doing something about it. I have an issue with what he did because, to me, that's really soft. Like, two-handing somebody in the face is soft. I, I don't know if he you. went to his face. He really went to his shoulder, and the it kind of like hit the shoulder, and then came up into the face. But it was still high. Putting your stick in that position yeah. is cowardly, in my opinion. Now, mm-hmm. if you go up to him and just drop your gloves and wrestle him down to the ice, I think that that is totally fair. Like, listen, you're trying to make a statement. I just didn't like the whole in my viewpoint, you know, a cross jack yeah. to anywhere, no, like shoulder it. or above. So I don't really have an issue with the response. I have an issue with how far the response was taken. I, I, I like it. I think this is the right spot to be. It's probably where I land, which is I have no problem with him doing it. Like all that stuff, rivalry, making a point, like you're just tired of this team. But once you do it, you better turn around and get ready to get drilled because someone's coming after you. And, and in hockey, we can always say like, okay, getting fighting out of the game. That's fine. It's great. Like we got, we got fighting out of the game way it used to be, but it's still a mm-hmm. physical sport. And if you're going to do that, just know that it's coming. And Morgan Riley, I yes, that's right. You he could have he could have made sure he looks at him and goes after him, hugs him, let's go, bam, 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 whatever. Uh-huh. That would have been that would have been better. So yeah, I, it was pretty amazing uh, to also, watch. And don't put very don't put yourself in a position where you got to pull your goalie. Because that's right, you lost the Same. game. You know what I mean? Like you don't want yeah. somebody to showboat a little bit, then don't lose the game. Like it's not, it's not rocket. I just these unwritten rules, especially like especially in baseball, they just drive me crazy. I think it's so stupid. It's like I don't know. I just I don't know. Whatever. You okay, had a question, question for me? Yeah. So on Friday, grocery shopping, local okay. grocery store starts with the W. No free ads, and I'm walking okay. around. And I'm looking at everybody and, you know, it's a Friday before a Super Bowl weekend. People are getting their groceries and I'm just sitting there and I'm looking around and I'm thinking to myself, what would this grocery store be like if the Bills were playing in the Super Bowl? And then that conversation extended to Sunday. I'm out in my neighborhood walking around with the dog and like there's people getting ready to have Super Bowl parties. And I see a couple of people outside like cooking and smoking some stuff like smoking, like, uh, I don't know, it looks like ribs or something. And I'm just wondering, like, what would what is the day of the Super Bowl like for 
a fan getting ready for their team to play in that game? Like in the 90s, what was it like getting ready for those? I, I would imagine it had to be the most stressful excitement. Uh, I just, I don't even know what your emotions would feel like. I can only speak from my experience of when the bills were in it. And I was young though. My first, this first one, I was a senior in high school, but I was working at a pizzeria and I had to work all the way up until kickoff. And I was, I left to go to my buddy's house and I brought the pizza to them. So that was it for me. And then I was in college the next three years and we got together and we had Super Bowl parties. It was very stressful, but I was a kid, right? It was college and I was looking uh-huh. forward to seeing my friends and wearing the Bills gear. I would like to throw this out to everybody. This is a great question. People who were older than me, older than you, and actually yeah. went through this as adults. Now, it was a different time period. There's no social media. There's no Twitter to follow along. There's not, uh-huh. We're not even texting each other, right? This is a different time yeah. period, 1990 through 1993. So... If you're listening to this podcast, hopefully you, hopefully you stayed with us for the first 45 plus minutes. Shoot us a comment. Let us know. What was it like for you when the Bills were in the Super Bowl in the 1990s that day? What did you do that day? What was it like emotionally and physically uh-huh. for you? I know that. So I've heard my parents' stories of like what those games were like. So my dad had season tickets from 85 to 97. He never Mm -hmm. got to a Super Bowl though, but he obviously always was watching like Super Bowls with family and friends. The the wide right one is the one that always, so my dad was, they were in Rochester. They went, my aunt and uncle live in Rochester and they went, they watched the game at my aunt and uncle's house. And you know, the kick is missed. It's silence. They go out to the car with my grandmother. They get in the car. And they drive back to Buffalo and I guess like pure silence. And it was a downpour, I guess, like the entire way. And, you know, he was just like, it is one of those vivid moments that you will never get out of your head of just watching on the TV. I think he said they all like fell to the ground. Like they were like holding hands on their knees and then they missed the kick. So I've always heard the stories about what it was like after, Mm -hmm. but I never had been told the stories of what it was like leading up to it. And all of the angst, because I know for me, I always get nervous before like the big games just from covering them and wanting to make sure that I do my job well and that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I know I would be so busy that I wouldn't really have a chance to even, I think, take it all in. But I cannot imagine how long that day would feel because even the big playoff games, those days drag on for me you know those games oh. when they're playing at 6 30 or something and i'm sitting there and i'm yeah. like oh my god like it, it feels like it should be time to kick off and we're six hours until the game starts yeah uh for the first one when they lost i was at a friend's house we had all of our friends our senior in high school right so you know you're right that age and uh, mm-hmm. you know, you're not with your parents necessarily and enjoying it with your friends and when norwood ran out one of my very good friends shout out matt lexner teacher at orchard park he was the head volleyball coach there for a long time he, he, when Norwood ran on the field, I still remember, man. It's hilarious. He yelled, Oh my God, my worst fear has come true. <laughs> he said that Norwood's getting ready because, and it was just the way he was, you know, whether it's good or not. And when he missed uh-huh. it, I laid down face down on the living room floor for quite a while. No one said anything. Got up. We went outside and had a really big snowball fight. That's how we got our energy out that day. Okay. There you go. What, Super Bowl do, what is it? What is your uh, greatest sports moment that you've gotten to enjoy as a fan? Is it Syracuse winning a national championship? 
Uh, probably because they won the championship and I was there in New Orleans uh-huh. and that yeah. was amazing. And I have a great story I can share sometime. It would be too long for now about being there. And I'd just been married a month and it was awesome. My, my wife wasn't with me, but you know, it was really cool. But I would say though, um, it might be 51 to three though. Senior okay, in high school yeah. the week before the Super Bowl, being at the stadium. And I still get chills thinking about what that stadium was like uh-huh. and people chanting, Matt, it was 41 to three at halftime. They were yeah. going to the Super Bowl and we all knew it for a yeah. full half of football. And ev- it was, it was not a game anymore. It was a party in the stadium yeah. for a half hour for, for two halves or for a half, two quarters. Yeah. It was incredible. Yeah, my dad always said that that's the best sporting yeah. event he's ever been to. He said that was better than the comeback game because of that reason. Because the entire time you knew that it was just going to be like, hey, they're go-, and that was as good as that team was. Yep. It was just like you know, weren't they? Weren't they a like a two touchdown favorite against the Giants? No, not that, not that much. But maybe, maybe nine, not ten, something like that. I don't think it was that high. Um, but That's in that game, there were people were, we were we were chanting in the stadium, Super Bowl, Super Bowl. Then thank you, Ralph. Thank you, Ralph. And thank you, Bills. Thank you, Bills. It it just rang out. It was awesome. So now the greatest game I ever attended was probably unfortunately two losses for the Bills. 13, 13 seconds. seconds game was incredible being on the field. But yeah, it was Bills losing the year before their first Super Bowl in Cleveland to the Browns 34 30 uh in the playoffs was an absolutely incredible game so yeah it was, was that uh, was that the afc championship or was that the divisional divisional, round? divisional. Okay. And the browns they lose to the um denver broncos the following week uh but that was the bills had if the bills had won that game matt they they would have gone to six straight afc title games they went to one then they didn't then they went to four more in a row um what I didn't know is I saw a graphic a couple days ago before the Super Bowl of all of the Super Bowls played and like the winner and the loser. I didn't know the Broncos lost three in a row. I had no idea. I, I didn't know that that was a thing until I feel like people always talk about the Bills losing, but no, I think I saw three they lost three out of four. Three out of four. Three out of four. Something yep. like, okay. Three out of four. They like, lost that's three out of four. Yep. Pretty crazy, right? Amazing. And they have four total losses because they had lost one years before that in the seventies. So they have four total uh-huh. losses, but then they won some because LA won after that. Um, but uh-huh. yes, they lost three out of four. They lost in 86 to the giants, 87 to the then Redskins didn't make it in 88. That was the Bengals. And then they go back in 89. But can I tell you another piece of that trivia? They beat the same sure. team to get there. All three out of four, the Browns. Oh, no kidding. They beat the Browns in the AFC championship game in all three of those years. And one was the 98 yard drive to beat the Browns last, the end of the game, the 98 uh-huh. yard drive to win it. One was the Browns fumbling on their way to the end zone to win the game and Ernest Biner uh-huh. fumbled. And that's how the Broncos beat them. And then one was a blowout. I, yeah, I remember all those games as a kid, by the way, shout out to your late dad for getting season tickets in 85, a year after yeah, they go two and 14. And your dad's like, I'm getting seasons for this team. Even well, before they got Kelly. Well, I would imagine 85 was probably they got Bruce Smith. Yeah, that was the, well, that was the Bruce Smith, Frank Reich, Andre Reed draft, right? Not that anybody yeah, who knows was, who knows Reed's going to no. be that great, but you're right. Yeah, yes. nobody. I, I would imagine at that point, my dad was probably in like college in college or something, which is probably why he was getting those season tickets at that point because that's uh-huh. what everybody. I mean, 
when I got to college, I got season tickets for a couple of years because that's what like so many different people do because it's the perfect time to do it. I want to close on this watching the Super Bowl on Sunday. I understand how frustrating it can be because you're watching the Chiefs win another one and they have firmly cemented themselves as a dynasty. But I came away from that game really thinking that at one point we will be watching the Bills there. Like I understand how good the Chiefs are, but I really do think the Bills are knocking on the door. There's going to be people who are like, well, they'll never get there with Sean McDermott. They're never going to get there because they've blown their best opportunities. Uh But more than anything, I think I trust number 17. Like I watch those games, and I'm like, Josh Allen should be playing in those games, Mm -hmm. and I still think that he will. New Orleans next year. Maybe maybe we can make that happen, and we'll be down there for that. yeah, well, great way to end it because I love the optimism and, and I agree with you about uh, pretty much all of that. And, and th- it'll happen. It'll happen at some point. Let's just hope it's sooner rather than later. All right. Uh, at Matt underscore Bove at Cell Sports, of course, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you pod and on the Cell Sports YouTube channel. All right, everybody have a great rest of your week. Matt, you too. And we'll talk to you next time. And it's always game day in Buffalo.